0: Still got to get you that swing, man, maybe for Christmas.
1: I don't like it. It makes my man boobs. It's tight on my man boobs. (laughs) Size up. Let's go.
0: Alright everybody, welcome to the 44th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin, in Rip City, and I got my man,
1: Sage, chilling in Southern Orion. kind of sick, but I'm fighting through it, and I'm ready to talk basketball. It's been like four days since we've seen each other.
0: Man, after going 22 <laughs> days, we're, we're back at it again?
1: Yeah, but hey, you can't keep us down. I mean, the, the only and, way...
0: And you're fighting through a cold?
1: yeah this is my flu game, man. My flu game sick
0: flu game sick like dame hitting that game winner like m j in the finals.
1: I'm looking at my reflection in the skype and I just noticed like all the red marks on my nose from blowing my nose for the last two days, so you know, i am fight through it, but you we do know.
0: this for the fans. we do this for you guys,
1: yeah, it sucks that I'm the one sick every time someone's sick on this podcast it's It's just always me like. When we had Dane on the second time, I was the one that was nearly dying. When are you going to take some of this sick, like, uh, what are you going to put in the work for the sick? Knocking weekend? on
0: this wood right now, but uh, I'm pretty good at not getting just the common, the cold or the flus. And I don't get flu shots. Uh, I'm, I don't know whether it's because I'm a big-time germaphobe and I'll, I wash my hands uh, probably way too much uh, than I should. But... I've, I've when it, it seems like when I get sick, it, I'm out for the count. Like, I'm out for, like, two or three days at a time. It's not – I don't usually get the – you know, I just feel like shit, but I can still work, like, that type of sickness. Thankfully, I don't have allergies. Again, like, I'm knocking on wood because I don't want to jinx myself for a, a really shitty uh, 2017. Yeah, like,
1: I, I have, I'm i lactose intolerant. Like, it took me 20, 23 years to realize that I'm really lactose intolerant. But I, I guess we should stay away from me being sick. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to talk about the the things that have happened in our Throwback Thursday.
0: Yeah, so we are recording Monday at 10:07 p.m. and we what we just recorded last Friday, and already there is a ton of Blazer news that has broke, which we're going to get to first before we dive into um, our Throwback game. First of all, it kind of came out of left field. We're all waiting for the Alan Crab news. We we get a woge bomb. Myers Leonard re-ups 4 years, 41 million. Sage knee jerk reaction. What did you think when I texted you that that just happened?
1: Sad Sage. I I know. I know the contract's good. I know it's a value pick. It's just he's so unbelievably frustrating to me to watch him play basketball. And I know it's all mental, but I don't uh, mental problems in basketball are really hard to get right. I I really wish he was on another team. I know the contract's good. I know all the reasons, like we're we, we're building trade assets, but it's just Myers Leonard on this team is so frustrating to me. And Okay. And then my mom T- called like right, right after. Right after. And she hates Myers. She blames Myers for everything that the that the Blazers do. Like she blames them for Mason Plumley's goofs because, you know, they're both white. So she called me just upset because she hated Myers. She hated Myers from Jump. So the deal was like trying to calm my mom down from that, just then to my own reactions. I, I don't like it, but I know it's a good deal. But how, what do you feel about it? Because you had to like talk we, me off like, the ledge.
0: Like we did last episode, <laughs> I'm going to play devil's advocate. I actually was like, hey, hey now, that's not a a bad contract at all. We're talking about $10 million in today's landscape, which is the equivalent to the mid-level exception in the previous cap. You're looking at a kid who is going into his fifth NBA season. Uh, I think he's still like 24 years old. He is still seven feet tall. He's still athletic as hell, and he can still stroke it. These are things that have not gone away. Yes, he does have the, the confidence issues. And I think he had a subpar uh, 2016 campaign uh, two factors. First, I think he put too much internal pressure on himself by not accepting that extension that Neil O'Shea offered him at the beginning of the season. He quote-unquote bet on himself. I think that put an enormous amount of pressure on his shoulders to be honest, I think it really affected his game. We saw br- flashes of brilliance, especially when he would go up against those bigger centers like Marc Gasol and DeMarcus Cousins, but he became almost a specialist instead of the overall player that we kind of saw in that Memphis series. The second thing that I thought that impacted his, his game uh, poorly were the injuries, and he had nagging shoulder injuries. And for a shooter, it's either your hand or your shoulder. You don't- those are the two worst body parts that could get hurt or affected negatively. And it happened to him and it happened to him constantly throughout the season. So I think that's why you started to see him second guess every single move. Like he just, I think he got lost. He was thinking too much instead of just playing, letting that thing fly. And also it gives us assets. We mentioned on the last episode that Neil saw five assets walk out that door with zero return. Last stop, yeah. We a Flalo, who we actually gave up a lot for. We gave up a first round pick, T. Rob, and Will Barton, and Victor Claver. Uh, that's a lot for a player who only played like twenty games and was hurt a lot of the time he was here. So, if you are Neil, you are seeing all those assets walk out the door. Remember, he drafted Myers, he drafted Dame. Those two are his guys. Every player after, every player acquired after the twenty twelve draft, Neil's guy. So he's going to hold them in, a, in a, a different light, in a higher regard, as as all GMs do. Um so that's a big thing. Neil already liked myers he he's always compared his progress to that of a DeAndre Jordan who was really highly recruited coming out of out of high school, probably went a little lower than most expected in the second round he fell, and people were quick to just say deandre he's a bust, 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 cut him, sign trade him, wave him, whatever, let the warriors sign him. They, if you, everybody remembers correctly, the Warriors offered him a contract when DeAndre was a restricted free agent. It was a big deal at the time, but the Clippers matched and now they're, they're reaping the, the rewards because DeAndre is a monster. I don't think Myers is ever going to become the caliber of a player of a DeAndre Jordan, but it wouldn't surprise me in the least if Myers-Leonard has a bounce-back year. So, now Terry Stotts has all of these types of players at his arsenal. And Portland is legitimately 12 deep. And if we're playing the Kings, Myers, you're going to get big minutes. If you're playing the Warriors, okay, Myers, you're probably not going to get a ton of minutes. We're going to have to go with more Ed Davis, maybe play a little more smaller to play to your strengths. So now that we have all of these guys signed, it really gives Terry an, an option to match up and match up well, not not match up to what the other team's doing, because they have the strength but no you can actually counter them with strengths of your own and i think that's a huge thing to have for a coach people are gonna say might be a lot of guys wanting minutes but a couple things again one winning cures all two, dame is a leader and he leads by example he's not selfish he shouldn't expect anybody else to be selfish and then three a lot of the guys have already gotten that second contract so they're not really worried about, oh God, I gotta get playing time this year, I gotta put up big numbers, I gotta get those stats so I can get my my deal. You know, Mace already knows he's gonna get paid next summer, CJ definitely knows he's gonna get his his second contract, uh, the max contract, uh either by this Halloween or in the summer of twenty seventeen. I don't see that as a problem. I think of this as a great signing, a great value for everybody who wants to talk about crab getting too much money, Turner getting too much money. Portland finally got some value in Festus and Myers, and now we have three centers in Festus, Myers, and Mason. It's starting to feel like those that 2000 Blazers team where we were just loaded as shit at every position, and we honestly should have won the championship that year. Again, I'm not saying we're going to win the title this year or compete for a title, but this is the deepest team Portland's had in 16, 17 years, and it's going to be very exciting. Uh, it's definitely not going to be, I think, as easy as some fans think it will because we're not going to catch teams uh, off guard, but I like the signing, and most importantly, I'm thankful for Paul Allen for opening his checkbook because Woj tweeted out, this: these signings that Portland did, matching Crab and bringing Myers back, shows that they're not willing to let Their assets walk. They're ready to win and win now, regardless of Durant going to the Warriors. Um, To me, as a fan, one, thank you, Paul Allen. And two, that just shows this team, they're ready.
1: You were talking about DeAndre Jordan. I remember uh, back when I was in Portland Radio Days, I had this humongously long post on Facebook that I got to see again because Facebook likes to torture you with how dumb you are. And I had, like, prisoners of the moment. Like, how you have to be worried about prisoners of the moment. How Aaron Gray had one good playoff series and sucked. And I had DeAndre Jordan in the list of people that actually sucked. But had a good good, good series and got paid off of it. So I totally... Uh, hey, I, I've been there. And I said it on radio a lot. As much as, like, all the positives you said about the contract and... Stop piling talent. I still don't like him as a basketball player, but I totally get it, and this is the team that we're going to rock with.
0: Could you do- I mean, Myers would have been a huge asset in that Clipper series. Oh, well, that, his, that, shooting, but... his shooting would, would have brought DeAndre out of the paint, and that's, I think he's going to be um, a situational center. All of our centers right now are situational, but the thing I love most, maybe even more than the fact that we have a lot of depth, This sets up Neil to go after that big fish. He did it in Los Angeles with Chris Paul. Now he's getting those assets together in Portland to go after, whether it's a young guy. There's been rumors of Julio Okafor. I mean, Boogie Cousins has been floated around forever. That disgruntled star to come in and be that third amigo with Dame and CJ, that's what Neil is ultimately – that's his long play. And you can't let guys walk. And if you have an owner that says – my checkbook is open do whatever you can to make this team better I wanna win you know Paul's been the owner I believe since the 89 season so it's been he's been with this team during the ups and downs it's been 24 years for him as an owner since the team made it to the finals it's been 16 years for him as an owner since we made it to the Western Conference finals money is not an option to him he wants to win and I think Portland fans need to be very thankful that we have an owner like that because not only are we in a small market that puts us at a huge disadvantage right off the bat, but if he didn't want to spend, I mean, could you imagine back in the day when teams like the Suns would just sell draft picks because they tried to save money? Um, could you imagine not matching on Alan Crabb or not trying to bring in guys like Evan Turner? Or I mean, it, it just wouldn't be fun, and we would be stuck even worse. I mean, we would just be literally stuck. We wouldn't be bad enough to be mm-hmm. bad And we wouldn't be good. We would not even be close to good enough to probably even sniffing the second round of the playoffs. So, whether you like these moves or not, just be thankful that you have a smart GM and that you have an owner that is willing to open up his wallet because a lot of franchises would kill for Neil O'Shea and Paul Allen.
1: Yeah, because in New Orleans, even with Chris Paul, they were so cheap that they didn't open a practice arena for like, I don't know, six years when Chris Paul was at his peak of Chris Paulness. So having an owner that's willing and able to spend that big money and not be cheap is such a luxury for uh, Neil O'Shea and the entire organization. How many minutes a game, average it out? Because Myers Leonard's out till December-ish, right?
0: I've heard rumors of, I thought the initial report was December, and then I've heard he could be back as soon as training camp, so... I'm I'm not entirely sure what the timetable is for that.
1: So there's 48 minutes in a game. How many minutes do you think Myers Leonard will see the floor? Like 10, 15? I mean, I it mean, totally depends on matchup. It's so
0: like, again, it's so hard to average it out. I think it's it just really depends on the matchup.
1: Yeah, and I mean, if Festus's knees are hurt and Mason's hurt, My- Myers is seeing a lot of minutes. So and that's
0: another. That's another huge positive to this depth is you look at the Blazers in 2014 when they made that surprise run and took the Rockets out in the first round. That was a team that only saw two different starting lineups the entire year. Everyone was healthy uh, with the exception of, I think, LaMarcus missed two games, something like that. Like the, the, the starters were incredibly healthy. You go to the 2015 season and, and Nick's banged up and LA, you know, screws up his thumb uh, West tears his Achilles. I mean, so on and so on. That team had no bench, no depth whatsoever. This team, you, you look and you say, okay, Evan Turner gets banged up. Okay, Crab, we just matched you. You're ready to go. You're, you've started before. You talk about Festus and his knees. Well, we got Mason Myers. Um, if Chief can't play, you know, you got Ed Davis and Noah. Uh, there's just a lot of depth and a lot of options for this team because an 82-game season, injuries and dings and nicks, those build up. And you you think of the decision it took for Dame to sit out those games with that plantar fasciitis. It would be so much of an easier decision this time around, be like, okay, we've got, you know, we brought in Shabazz, we got Evan Turner as the other ball handler, and CJ can definitely play some point. So you don't really have to make the decision, I guess, based upon, like, Prisoner of the moment, like you said, like we really need Dane. We need him for this playoff push. You can almost look bigger picture and say, no, we ha- we brought these guys in for a reason. They can help out. Like
1: it was basically the same day all this news came out about the Blazers. It was
0: literally like two hours later. Yeah, if so, that, it might have been an
1: hour. So after the Myers news, which low key devastated me, we got some good news in my opinion and re-signed Alan Crabbe. What was your initial thoughts to it? Because I know we're in cap hell now once we resign or uh, give those two extensions out. But you kind of talked me into the benefit of having Alan Krab as as firepower off the bench. So I know it's a lot of money, but I feel like it's worth it just to have that firepower.
0: I mean, it it was worth it. You have to bring back Alan Krab regardless of the price because... One, we have that owner who's willing to spend. So luxury tax doesn't matter, essentially, if you have an owner who's willing to pay for it. And two, it wasn't like we would, okay, Alan Crabb, we don't match him. Then we get this all this cap face to go out and sign somebody else. Even if that was the case, there's nobody else on the market left to sign. And two, that wasn't the case. So we were going to be in cap hell with or without Alan Crabb's, what, $19, 18000000 million a year on the books. So that's, I think, what made the decision easy in my mind, and also the fact that Neil doesn't just want to let assets go. Like we traded two second-round picks to take him. We trained him. We brought him up through our system, and you don't want to let another team come in and just swoop in with just with money and say, "Oh, you've done all the hard work. Now I'm just going to, you know, re- get the fruits of that labor."
1: hmm
0: And that's exactly what it would have been.
1: So he's essentially the the third guard on our team. Yeah. Yeah. I mean Evan Turner will definitely be the ball handling guard, but he he has a pretty huge role. And do you see him in the finishing five at all?
0: Again, finishing five will be Damon CJ and the three players who are playing the best at the time and depending on the matchup. Do you need defense? Do you are you going big? Are you going small? Is Crab hot? Is Turner hot? Um it, it's all going to depend, and I think that's Terry's job is to really hammer that home that says, this is an open competition. Jobs are up open. Like This is what USC did under Pete Carroll. They would have what they would call competition Wednesdays, and they would do it all throughout the season. It didn't matter if you were Reggie Bush or Matt Leiner. You had to go out and compete for your job, and if you did, you won that position, and players They had so many five-star running backs, and so, I mean, just everybody wanted to come to that program, but they knew the coach was fair and honest and would give them um, a real shot at earning playing time as long as they earned it, and I think that's all Alan Krabs looking for. I think that's going to be a job that's going to be up for grabs in training camp. Evan Turner knows that as well, that starting small forward position could go to either player. Uh, In terms of finishing five, it's going to go to which player has it going and what's the better matchup, and... Again, as long as you're winning, everything's going to be fine. And as long as everybody feels like they're getting a fair shake, it it should be pretty smooth. They all have their money. I mean, there always could be outside factors, maybe internal egos that could cause problems. But Portland has a pretty strong culture right now that um, I don't want to get too excited about because you know we have seen what happens with deep teams like the Trailblazers. They added just a couple too many pieces in 2001, and it all went to shit. So too def- many point guards. Yeah, and there definitely is a fine line to, to walk. But I'm, I'm hopeful.
1: It just, it just had to happen. It just, you can't have. You just can't have Pat to go into that role just yet. Or...
0: Because who is your shooter off the bench? Yeah. That's that's the question. Because Ed Davis isn't <laughs> a shooter. Uh, Noah is inconsistent. You don't really want your power forward being that shooter. Uh, Your center's definitely not. I guess Myers technically could have been, but you need that guy on the wing who is just going to stretch the floor. Turner's going to be the one creating for you, and CJ can play off the ball, but you really just need that knockdown shooter and, you know, Crabb showed me so much in the playoffs after those first two games in Los Angeles. I went back and I looked at his stats and I was even more impressed. Like at some of the shooting nights he had, he was clutch in some big situations for us. And I think he's really only going to get better. Like people might forget he was the Pac-12 player of the year, not defensive, not offensive, overall player of the year. That's one of the more elite conferences in, in sports. And every year he has shown progression. So why can't he continue to take it to the next level? Yep. To me, a, a lot of Portland's success next year is going to come from internal development. And when you have a young team who hasn't hit their peak yet, you should expect a lot of internal development. This coaching staff has proven it over the years what they can do with a player in their system.
1: So, Moe what do you think about that? i I would love to bring him back.
0: You gotta bring back yeah. Mo this this off season. Like it, it wouldn't be a bust if we don't bring him back, but you gotta bring back Mo Harkless again. He is a player who completely turned his career around in Portland. He wasn't even seeing the floor for an abysmal abysmal Orlando Magic team in 2015. We got him for literally nothing. A pick will likely never have to surrender, and he's out here starting playoff games for us. You know, tip jams, cutting off the baseline, hitting corner threes, which they said he couldn't do. Motor. Um, playing, motor. playing fantastic defense. Moe is another guy you can play at the three or the four who I love finishing games if I'm Terry Stotts. Uh, I really don't want to bring him back for that qualifying offer because that likely means we only get him for one more year. I, I, I would love to see Mo Harkless at a four-year, probably $44 or $45 million contract, get him for $11, 12000000 a year. Lock him up because, like Crab, I think he might even have more potential than Allen.
1: It's just that that that, that desire to win—you can see that he has that. Like the everyone wants to win, but I think he feels like it's too painful to lose, so he isn't going to let that happen.
0: And it's interesting. There are quite a few restricted free agents out there who haven't signed. I know Dion Waiters is still Ugh. available. Um, non-restricted free agents, obviously LeBron hasn't signed, JR Smith hasn't signed uh, Jared Solinger just accepted, I think the the qualifying offer, not, maybe not the qualifying but he accepted a one year, $6 million offer uh, with the Toronto Raptors, so there's still guys out there, so it's a little weird that Mo well, Harkless hasn't been offered hopefully, Neil and his agent are working things out, I do know that it was either Wode or Jason Quick that that mentioned that they expected the Harkless situation to be um, taken care of within the next couple of days, so that news should be coming in shortly. But I would give this off season; it probably goes from. I think I gave it a B. I, yeah. If we all those guys back, I give it a B plus, maybe even a minus, just because there's something to be said about having a great bench. And when you look at how Portland now stacks up in the Western Conference, you know Tim Duncan retires today. I think that is going to impact the Spurs so much more than a lot of people, just because of his leadership just because of what he's meant to that organization. It's going to be so weird, them taking the floor and him not being either right there next to them or on the bench, you know, coaching them up. Um, Obviously, Parker and Ginobili are on the decline. Danny Green had a surprisingly terrible season. And I'm not saying this as a Salty Blazer fan, but LaMarcus Aldridge is is not going to carry a team. Mm -hmm. We, we, We all saw that last year. So I'm honestly not worried about the Spurs. We've discussed on the last week's episode uh, the Clippers did not get any better.
1: They probably got worse.
0: They got a little bit worse. The Thunder obviously got worse. They have a huge hole at small forward. Um, probably power forward, too, because I don't think you can play Adams and Cantor for the majority of the game. Uh, you go down to Memphis, a lot of injury concerns. Again, no depth in Memphis. Um, and then there's Utah, who still has hasn't proven that they can take that step from promising young team to actually playoff contender.
1: Do you like the George Hill trade?
0: I do. I like that trade, especially in this draft. I think the 12th pick probably wasn't going to get them a whole lot. Um, Although Denzel Valentine would have looked awfully nice in a Utah Jazz uniform if you're a Jazz fan.
1: I feel like the point guard was just so much of a need for them, though. Just having an average guy. Because I think... George Hill is average. He's like, an
0: average player, but the thing about the Jazz... They look they, good,
1: fine with Shelvin Mack, and he's below, so just having a consistent they've guy. They've
0: got a good coach. I think they've got they've got a lot of good players. They've got a good home court advantage, play fantastic defense, but why I'm not completely sold on them as contending, I think they, they'll probably sneak into the playoffs, but I'm not sold on the Utah Jazz because they don't have a number one scoring option or a go-to player consistently throughout an 82-game season. And I, I just don't know if they're going to be able to, without that go-to, they, they, you can't win games scoring 85 points.
1: Nope.
0: Like, they're they great defensively, but who are you going to dump it to in the post? I mean, Favors hasn't taken that step like we thought. Gobert is not an offensive threat. Hayward is fantastic, but he's a rest- uh, I believe he's believe either rest- he's a free agent next year, and there were rumblings that he wants out of Utah, don't know how validated or valid those are, but if he wants out, I mean that.
1: I got friends in Utah that like have that that see Gordon Hayward's face everywhere. So if there is a way that Utah can keep Gordon Hayward, they're going above and beyond for that because, you know, he he totally fits what Utah wants on the basketball court.
0: I mean, they got a nice team. I, I like Rodney Hood, but I don't think they added any. Like, so they got George Hill. I don't Boris Diao and Joe Johnson just they don't do it for me.
1: Like, there's so many question marks about how Boris is gonna handle this year.
0: Well, we saw what happened to him after he left Phoenix and Steve Nash. He went to Charlotte and just ballooned. Yep. It took Coach Pop. Like, not everyone is a coach pop and can make you know lemonade out of lemons. Yep. Like, it just it doesn't happen. So Right now, I, I have Portland as high as two, as low as probably five. I I Obviously, the Warriors are leaps and bounds, but if you're Portland, your goal this year is to finish second or third so you can win two rounds and get your shot at Golden State in the conference finals.
1: I think you forgot the most important free agent signing, though. The man, the myth, the legend, Tim Frazier, got a really team-friendly deal.
0: Tim Frazier chronicles are alive and well in the Crescent City.
1: I feel like his... Agent needs to get kicked in the nuts. He should have waited one more day for New Jersey, no, Brooklyn to match. I bet he would have gotten a better contract.
0: Uh, But that's the thing, we don't know.
1: But, I mean, with Tyler Johnson getting uh, matched and Alan Crabb, they needed bodies. I
0: mean, we all like Tim Frazier, but I don't know if he's that good of an NBA basketball player.
1: Oh, Pelicans Twitter thinks he can hit threes. Well,. (laughs) I don't want to ruin their fun. I don't want to ruin their reindeer games.
0: So where do you see Portland right now? If they bring back Mo Harkless, do you think that's a fair range to put him in?
1: I would go... I I don't want to give him two just yet. But I'll give him three to five. Yeah. Two just just seems lofty.
0: It does seem lofty, but you start looking at the Spurs, they lose Duncan, they lose Boban, they lose Boris Diao, they lose David West... They lose four bigs. Yes, I know they got Pau Gasol, but. He's slow. That's... They have no. Like, for, for once, you look at the Spurs roster and you're like, where's the depth? They don't have it, especially in the front court.
1: Yeah, it's just two bigs that aren't the most uh, fleet of foot.
0: And they are going to be tough in the regular season because they're a regular season team. They, they just execute on a different level with Popovich. And I understand that. That's why the two seed. You're right, it might be a little lofty. But if you could, like you said, finish third, I think if you could get them in the second round, they're a team you could do some things with in the playoffs. Just based upon the um, the days in playoffs being a little bit shorter, um, longer season, you might be getting them while they're tiring down. But you've got a lot of young legs and depth. Again, we're looking way too far ahead <laughs> in, in July. But
1: that's it's not talk. even summer. Summer leagues, ass isn't even over yet.
0: Well, it's summer league, so you got you got to talk about you know the season starting. But, that, you know, there's a lot of room for excitement. But I think we've, we've touched on a lot of things that have happened. But let's go into why we're really here. This will be our second Throwback Thursday episode. Uh, the game we're going to discuss is Game 5 of the 1991 Western Conference Finals, Trailblazers versus Lakers. And, Sage, there's a, a reason I wanted to discuss this game. I was five years old when I became a Blazer fan. It was in 1990. So the 1991 Blazers are the first time I've ever experienced professional basketball. Uh, they are the reason I am the, the Blazer maniac that I am. Um, I still have so much memorabilia. I watched all of the old games because I was so young. Now I get to kind of relive a little bit of that. But this is also when my Laker hatred began. <laughs> I guess yeah. This is if you want to talk about the one that got away, every franchise has that. This is the series, this is the team, the one that got away. Even when the, you ask the old Blazers, they would come through whenever they would get together, you know, what was the best team he played on? Some people might expect them to say the 90 or the 92 teams because they made it to the finals. They all say the 1991 squad. They won 63 games. I think that's when the majority of the team was at their peak and they they simply were better than everybody else. Um, I don't know what happened that there was a weekend in Los Angeles where they lost games three and game four and it wasn't really even close. They got blown out in those games, but I wanted to touch on this game because I still love it. One, anytime we beat the Lakers into it, it still haunts me a little bit that we did not get it done in this series because in my heart of hearts, we would have beaten the Chicago Bulls in the 91 p- finals. That, that's our championship. That would have been my first championship I witnessed alive on this earth.
1: God, you're making me feel bad.
0: <laughs> and this team was so special. They started out 11-0. I mean, they beat a lot of teams during that stretch. They beat Jordan's Bulls. They beat the defending champion, Pistons. They went on the road to Los Angeles and won in overtime. They started uh, 19 and they went to 19 and 1. Um, they had the best record of the All-Star break. Rick, Rick Adelman was the head coach of the, the Western Conference All-Stars. Uh, we had three All-Stars, Duck, Porter, and Clyde. Uh, hit a little bit of a rough patch around February, but we ended up winning our 16 straight games heading into the playoffs. Uh, The intro music we play at the beginning of this podcast is too hot to stop it. And that's from the 1991 season because we were. Everyone picked us to win it all. Um, And it it was looking good. We got past the Sonics. It did take five to beat them, but those games were close every single game we played them, even though we swept in the regular season. But it was just amazing to watch those games and see all of the Portland fans go up to Seattle for that and that's why I missed the Sonics in Seattle because that would have been a cool experience to, to go through. Um, we dispatched a really good Utah team in, in five games, and then you had the matchup that everybody was looking forward to in the regular season. It was Blazers-Lakers. Portland had that 63 wins. Um, Lakers were the third seed. Portland took three of the five games in the regular season, including two in, in the Great Western Forum. Um, as I mentioned, they had that earlier overtime game they came back down 20 in the third quarter in March to beat them during that 16 game winning streak and you really felt like this was this was Portland's year like they got to the finals last year against the Pistons everything set up for the blazers and they blew it. Game one I will never forget game one. Um, again forgive me for not watching the game. I was five years old at the time. my sister ended up taking me to see. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, part two, Seeker of the Ooze, at the, <laughs> All the cinema. God, <laughs> so, I, I get back from from the movie and I ask my mom, I'm like, hey mom, did the Blazers win? She said, no. I mean, that right there is when I started hating the fucking Lakers. <laughs> I It's like, you cannot do this to me. And I have a book. It's called The Long Hot Winter. It's actually written by Rick Adelman. You can pick it up at Powell. Pick it up on Amazon. Um, it's almost like a daily journal of that entire 1990-91 season. And, and going back and reading it and seeing what actually happened, Portland was up 12 points going into that fourth quarter. And I've watched that game again uh, recently. They had all the momentum, and it just it just collapsed in the bat of an eye. The, the Lakers really took charge in that fourth quarter cut the lead to three within like two minutes and you know we battled but momentum had firmly swung into their to their court and they stole that home court advantage that we worked so hard for going into the season I think that's why we had such a great season is we knew the Lakers would come back and they stole it just like that Portland fought like hell and I believe they um let me bring it up right here so they lost game one, 111-106. They, they fought back to win 109-98 to 98 in game two, but they went to Los Angeles over the weekend, and they got throttled. They lost by 14 in game three and by 21 in game four. And what really hurt Portland was A.C. Green. So Port- Benson High, graduate in Portland, went to Oregon State. He comes in, and he's just a spark plug that we had trouble with. I mean, they had a lot of big bigs. They had Sam Perkins and Vlade Divac. Um, they would get the ball. So This Laker team was just so difficult to defend because you had to double Magic Johnson every time he got it. Not even Clyde could guard him one-on-one because, I mean, the dude was, was 6'8", 6'9", and had the best court vision I've ever seen on a point guard. Mm-hmm. And then you've got shooters like Byron Scott and James Worthy on the wings that he can they can hit, or if you can post up Vlade and Perkins, they're not only good passers out of there, but they can score down low. So Portland had a heart. So there's this was before the zone defense. You couldn't zone them, which you might have done in force magic to take a three, but you couldn't. You had to fully commit, and they, they got blown out. But what I noticed, and I've also i read this through, um, it's called The Jordan Rules. I, everyone's heard that book by Sam Smith. They documented the, the same season, but for the Chicago Bulls. And what I found very interesting is Phil Jackson talks about how they watched the Blazers in games four and games five, or excuse me, in game five and game six, sending the double team from the baseline to disrupt Vlade and Sam Perkins. So almost like the blind side, so they can't see it coming. And Portland had a lot of success. And we'll talk about that in game five. And that's really what helped the Chicago Bulls defeat the Lakers in five games because they saw that strategy, it worked, and they implemented it to perfection. So I take a little bit of a pride in knowing that we, we helped the Lakers lose without beating them. Um, but let's go into this, this game five. Portland needed it. They're, they didn't want to go out on their home court. They were down three-1. They knew they had to they knew the inevitable was really in front of them. How about doing three straight games? but it really started with this game, and I thought they just wanted it more. What did you think after watching it?
1: Buck Williams was an absolute monster on the boards. He had to have had, like, 14, 15 rebounds. He, just the desire to get those boards made me just start to love how he played basketball. And his energy on defense, too.
0: Buck Williams played nearly the entire game. Dude plays 46 minutes, 13 points, 16 boards, 3 steals. I mean, just... An- animal on the glass like the Blazers this was before Rick Adelman became the coach of the Kings and they were so magnific- magnificent in in the half court the knock on the Blazers was take away their tempo take away their fast break and force them to beat you in the half court you really could see this throughout that game that they were doing anything they could to rebound the ball and get like mm-hmm. get like on the break like a bat out of the hill. Um They sent everyone crashing the glass, whether it was Jerome, Cliff, Duck. uh, They ended up getting 52 rebounds to 33 for Los Angeles. And um, let's see, they had 26 26 offensive rebounds to 9 for the Lakers. That showed me that they did not want to lose that, that, that season. They knew they had a bad weekend in Los Angeles, and they didn't want to go out in front of their home fans.
1: Duckworth was eating that first quarter. He st- scored, like, 9 of their first 13 or something like that.
0: He did, and he ended up with 9. So he, he really got going, and... But those went- turnovers
1: were killer. Like, I remember one on a fast break where Buck uh, saved it, gave it to Duckworth, and he basically just traveled. I, yeah. I remember saying, like, three... Travel turnovers. Yeah,
0: Duck had four of the team's ten turnovers. But again, you don't want to give the ball to (laughs) Duck on the fast break. You know,
1: it's not a good look to give it to your center a lot. Unless it's Mason
0: Plum. And and I feel really bad for Duck because reading the books and and looking back, he took a lot of heat. I think he took a a lot. I think fans in general, they always look for a, a scapegoat. Somebody to place the blame on when something goes to shit. And unfortunately for Portland, that was Duckworth. And honestly, that was the worst person that fans could have done that to because Duck, as big as he was, he was a big, sensitive teddy bear who took everything personally. And as someone who is exactly like that, I take everything personally and I have probably not as thick a skin as I should have. And it, it ate Duck alive, and I think it really affected his performance. He was an all-star that year, but I don't think he had, had the best – series. Uh, I think Vlade and Sam got the better of him, and it, he never really recovered, I think, from that series. He had a, a pretty good year uh, the following season. Uh, it just slowly went down. He got traded after the 93 season, and his weight got out of control, and it almost just snowballed for the guy, and I feel for him. I just wish things could have worked out differently because he was so, so talented, mm-hmm. I mean, he was pick-and-pop money. Put him in the post, jump hook over either shoulder. Um, great outlet passer. Like, he, he, he could run the break, too. Like, he did it all. He was the perfect center for this team. Um, but you're right. He set that tone early and got nine points. And what I love most about this, seven players played. Rick Adelman was like, fuck it. I'm going to live no and die. Mark,
1: no Mark Ryan for you.
0: No, I'm going to live and die by my guys. And six players had at least... Excuse me. Five players had at least thirteen points.
1: Jesus.
0: No one scored over over twenty. Like Jerome led 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 the way with twenty. Like it wasn't a game where they. I think Portland. They wanted to run the break so much they were taking bad shots on the break just to just to get out. Yeah, up.
1: there was a lot of like bad uh like bad passes for bad shots. Like I remember t- uh, Porter driving down the lane, dishing it to Danny Ainge, who had, like, no angle on the shot, but instead of, like, bringing it out, they just said, fuck it, we're shooting this bad shot. So I totally, I totally, vividly remember seeing those plays.
0: But, when they did get out on the break stage, it was, it it is a thing of beauty. Jerome Kersey
1: is the fucking man.
0: There is the poster, and I'm still to this day searching for it. It's a black and white Nike poster, and it's got three Blazers kind of staggered on the break. It's got Porter leading it up. It's got Kersey to the, um, to the left or to the left or the right of Porter, and then Buck trailing. And just the caption says, uh oh. And that's really what embodied this team. You did not want to see that squad on the break because everybody could run and everybody could finish. And it was easy to see why they won 63 games because when they got running, they were impossible to stop. And there was, Kersey had just an amazing dunk and you you just sense the Coliseum just go up two to three decibels. And it just, it really, I think energizes this team and gave them the energy to go out and crash the glass and start it all over again. It was like this beautiful Blazers cycle.
1: Like being, watching the Blazers now, You know, it's a lot of motion offense with spacing. And then watching that Blazers team, there was like no room in the middle, yet they attacked the rim relentlessly and usually scored. 2016 eyes were just not used to the relentless attacking of the rim, even when it looked contested. Like, these guys (laughs) were relentless.
0: I mean, yeah, you, you look at the Blazers. They only go two of ten from from deep. They didn't rely really on the three-point shot outside of, you know, Porter and and Ange. Drexler would sometimes put up a couple attempts, but he was really iffy from, from downtown. This team, like you said, they, they killed it in the paint. Um, they got to the line 31 times. Uh, they were not going to go home w- without an effort. <laughs> All right, so apologies if if any uh, really profane language came through. Um, Just, you know, the joys of living downtown Portland, but, you know, back to to the game. The Lakers and Magic Johnson, they, even at, at an older stage of his career, just showed how amazing he was. Like, this was Magic's last real season because... The season after this, the fall, he announced to the world that he had the HIV virus. So this was the last time that Magic really played at the Memorial Coliseum. And he's just on another level. I mean, he's still playing 45 minutes, 29 points, 8 rebounds, 7 assists. He's even shooting 4 of 8 from 3. He gets the line 12 times. Just an unreal playmaker that we haven't seen Mm. I mean, people are saying Ben Simmons might be Magic. Well, ben, Magic, one, is more of an offensive threat. And just just watching him, you ha- you're in, you in awe because he, he finds the players open just with the flick of a wrist, and that ball is there.
1: The outlet passes that he throws, like when, the Lakers didn't run much in this game, but they when they wanted to, he would throw some beautiful outlet passes to James Worthy, who got hurt. Which I thought was, when he hurt his ankle, I knew that Magic was going to have to go off for them to stay into this, stay in that game.
0: And usually the thing with those Laker teams is if Magic scored 40-plus points, they would lose. They were much more difficult to beat when he was getting 20 assists. And the one guy Portland never wanted to see in their gym was Byron Scott. He was one of the catalysts in that Game 1 who... He always shot the shit out of the ball in the glass palace. He's just one of those guys who comes to the gym, you get that, just get that comfort. And I know it's on a completely different level, but even when I play City League, and there's, there's a certain gym that I love going to, and for whatever reason, I shoot extremely well in it. This is what it was like for Byron Scott because every time he was shooting, it was lights out. And usually when you're playing with Magic Johnson and teams are having to send the double team, he was getting quite a few open looks. Um, fortunately for Portland, uh, he was just 4 of 11. But that typically wasn't the case because, I mean...
1: He was getting open looks, man.
0: It so was, was So was Worthy. I mean, they were getting open looks, but, I mean, it's they were the ultimate, like, pick-your-poison team.
1: Uh-huh. Well, because I mean, they, that ankle injury for Worthy was pretty huge because he was... He obviously wasn't... Uh, 100% because there was some passes that like a normal player would have got, but that ankle was just too too messed up.
0: And this game looked like it was, so I'm watching the game, and I, I think I kind of remember the final score. You know, I've seen highlights of it for, you know, I've seen the highlights of it like 100 times. But I'm watching the game, and Portland's down two after one. They're down three at halftime, and they come out immediately in the third quarter, and they just start hammering the Lakers even more so on the glass. I mean, that's how they're scoring a lot of their points on the offensive glass uh, tip-ins. Portland doesn't shoot a great percentage for this game. They were just uh, 36 of 89, barely over 40%. Uh, So it was all offensive rebounding, all just will, all relentlessness, and they finally got a couple of points off the break, and it was just like that's what they just needed like the six to eight-point cushion, and they could almost – you know, breathe a sigh of relief and just be like, okay, we got these guys now. Let's try to go get them in, in Game Six.
1: Yeah, it was really a team effort. Like, there was there was no one who demanded the ball or this is my team type of stuff. It was a real team effort. Se- seven guys. That that is some that is some uh, dedication to be playing.
0: And that's why I I fell in love with with that era so much. Um, You look at the team, no starter shot more than 18 times, but no fewer than 11. Danny Ainge is getting five and Cliff's getting nine off the bench. So they're all getting their touches. And it's almost like every time I go back and watch the highlights of a game or watch the full game, oh, it's Kersey one night, tonight it was Buck, sometimes it's Clyde or Terry or Duck or it's the bench. It's always one or the other, and it was just so fun to watch a team. And they never had ego problems. They never, like you said, demanded the ball. They shared the ball fantastic they were a great passing team. And, you know, I'm very thankful for them because they are the reason I love Blazer basketball as much as I do today.
1: The jump passes, though, my God. Every time Porter... Went into the lane and jumped up. I was just expecting the turnover off the jump pass, but he worked it.
0: Yeah, he it's, only had two turns yeah, there.
1: He worked it, but man, my poor basketball mind was not ready for those jump passes.
0: So, Portland ends up winning 95 84. They, they pushed the series 3 2 in favor of the Lakers. Sage, this is really the the second time we've watched this era. We covered the game game five of the '92 Western Conference Finals against the Jazz, and now uh, game five of the '91 Conference Finals against the Lakers. What are things that stand out to you the most after seeing these two games? Maybe players that you could see yourself becoming like a huge fan of, just any sort of.
1: Fresh Porter and Cursey would have been my guys. Who? Porter and Cursey. Yeah. I don't know. Like for some reason, I don't glob on to the star unless it's like Damian Lillard, Anthony Davis, that type of. So I like the guys that are workmen, and do like a a single thing well and hustle. So I would have fallen in love with the 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 desire of Cursey, and the the hustle of Porter.
0: Yeah, uh, but you know, Clyde was my guy.
1: Oh, I know.
0: Oh. I mean, the, why I loved Clyde, obviously, as a kid, you get enamored with the glide. Like, he soared the air and had those powerful jams. But he was, I always remember him being so unselfish. And he could score with the best, but he was routinely the, the leading assist man on our team. He was more times than not the, the best rebounder on the team. He would also chip in a couple blocks, a couple steals. Um, there was a quote that he had and it was after, cause I have the video yearbooks for the 90, 91, and 92 team that I, that I said that I've, I mentioned quite a bit on the podcast. I've seen numerous times, but my favorite quote from Clyde Drexler it and it's something, it went something along the lines of, you know, when, when we hurt our fans hurt, but when we win, our fans win, like it, it's a team effort. Like our fans are involved just as much as we are. And so when I refer to the Blazers as as a we, that's where that comes from because I don't think the team is who they are without their fans behind them. I mean, do you think the Blazers win as many games as they did last year or in their history without the fans? I mean, I hate them, but look at the Seahawks. There's no way in hell they're winning all those games without the 12s. Fans have a big part in this, and to see my favorite player, a star athlete, really embrace that and and talk about it uh, just was music to my ears as a little kid. And it has, you know, held strong with me throughout my
1: life. But I, I think one of the major differences is, is like the the hustle on defense with Buck. Like, like every time there's a double, you've got to hustle back to the guy or it's an illegal defense.
0: Yeah, I mean, you cannot jog back. You can't kind of, oh, I'm guarding this guy. They will get you for an illegal defense, and that's a technical after the first warning. And so you are having to, to blitz guys up at the top of the key and bust your ass back. And they're doing this with seven players, and this is what this is well over game 100 into the season. So it's not as easy as these guys make it look. They are extremely tired when they're doing it, and they were busting their ass. Um, it's unfortunate that, those, that game one happened. Um, it's unfortunate that game six happened. Um, I know we've talked about this in the past. If you could relive any play in your sports team's history, what is it for you? Um, Game seven in the 2000 conference finals against the Lakers, there wasn't really one play. It, It kind of all went to shit at once. So it was hard to pinpoint something there, but you can look at something in game six. Portland fell 91 to 90, but there was two plays that stood out to my mind. They, They definitely atoned for those poor performances and they showed they could win in the forum like they did in the regular season. Portland was down by one with like a minute and a half to go. They had a three-on-one fast break. Every lifelong Blazer fan knows exactly where I'm going with this. I even know. I mean, (laughs) Kersey had the ball, gave it up to to Robinson, and he just bumbled it off his knee out of bounds. Okay. There's one. Next time down... Percy blocks Vlade Divac, causing a 24-second violation. We have one more chance at this. Last play of the game, who do you go to? Clyde, Terry. They get a wide open, like, 16-footer for Porter. Like, this is the play I would redo because I know he would nail. Like, he was one of the best shooters in franchise history, and it's just long. Um, it, it's really hard to just relive that moment because I still don't think I've watched that game uh, I've seen the highlights of it, like I said, of the, uh, because of those yearbooks, but I, that's one game I just I can't. Maybe I can watch up until that part, but I, I just can't because then you've got that, that look of Magic Johnson throwing that ball down and, and the clock, it's stopping, and it, it winds down to .1. And then Buck throws that pass with one seconds left. It's over. Magic's throwing his hands in the air. Their crowd's going wild, and it's... I mean, that's an iconic moment for the Lakers and an all-time terrible moment for me. And it's just, you just wish things could be a little bit different. I mean, that's my what-if moment because we would have beat the, we would have went game seven. There's no way they're beating us again at the Coliseum. And we were 2-0 against the Bulls. This was before the Bulls really got into their group. I think we were a better team than them. We would have had a home court advantage against them. It would have been a great series, but I don't think Jordan gets his first ring in 91. Um, but the 91 Blazers are my favorite team, but they're my ultimate what-if team as well.
1: To make you feel better, the one thing that I would take away or change is Alex Smith throwing it to Vernon Davis for a touchdown in the, oh, shoot, 2013? Uh, no, was 2013. I think it was
0: 2014.
1: 2014.
0: No, 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 it wasn't 2014. It might. It was 2012.
1: God. Okay, yeah. All right. Confused a little, but yeah, oh nine Super Bowl lost to Seahawks, yeah. So that whole sequence of Alex Smith being really good against my team, I would, I,
0: I would, I would trade that time, and I would give you money. I would give you that memory back. <laughs> the Niners lose that game, you Saints win, and I will also give whatever gods I have to some money, so Porter can take that fucking shot again.
1: Well, I, I, we were the. <sighs> This isn't a Saints podcast, but the Saints were the best team in that, during that year.
0: Sometimes I joke on Twitter that in a parallel universe, the 91 Blazers have a championship and there's, there's a banner hung at the, at the Rose Garden in their honor. And I have all of the paraphernalia that that, that shows <laughs> well, up.
1: Uh, eventually, eventually, you're going to be buying all, all the Blazers 20-whatever <sighs> stuff. Hey, man pretty life-changing.
0: I know. One day, Blazer fans. One day. And I think that's what (laughs) makes...
1: If the New Orleans Saints can win a championship, anybody can.
0: And and that's what makes the moves we're doing now exciting. Yes, it's going to be an uphill climb to go up against the Warriors, but it's much better to try and, and fight them when you have a young team not even in their primes yet to give them some fight, to give them the best shot. You never know. We might beat them. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying we will but there there is a chance because we match up pretty damn well against this team. Um,
1: Dame just has to go nuclear for You games, know, I bro.
0: would rather try it than just say fuck it and let's you know let's wait 5 years because Dame's not in 5 years we you don't know. Like mm-hmm. cherish what you've got with Dame and CJ and just try to do your best. I mean to be honest like I said it's been 16 years since a conference finals appearance. I would be floored at a conference finals appearance at this point. I mean, I went nuts over a second round. Get me to that third round. Woo! Watch out.
1: Oh, man. So, are, are we done with the Throwback Thursday? Because we kind of went everywhere.
0: <laughs> well, I felt like it all tied into but, it.
1: But, yeah, man. That I, – I said it last time we did a Throwback Thursday, but, like, there are so many Blazer fans my age and younger – that are super dedicated to the team, but don't know, like, the essence of how the Trailblazers were, like, how, how they got there. So in anything that you're passionate about, like, with hip-hop, like, I always wanted to see, the, the, like, how it started, how, you know, Cool Eric would, you know, throw these jam sessions. So if you really love this team, this Blazers team, you need to go and do your research about like Bill Walton, Maurice Lucas, Clyde Drexler.
0: You know or... that that 77 squad caught lightning in a bottle and really started Blazer Mania, but it was when we got Buck Williams in the summer of 89 that Rip City returned to this town. Mm. Because Portland had a lot of hardships Obviously, Walton breaking his foot in '78 when they were 50 and 10, and on en route to, to going back to back, um, Walton really never playing again as a Trailblazer after that '77 team. The continuous first round exits that couldn't get over the hump. That team in '89-90 brought the fandom back, and it start. I know we had playoff stretches before, but it really boosted this team to that huge playoff run where we didn't. We made the playoffs what 18 straight years or something like that, and we had. The best three-year stretch in franchise history and you've got a lot of fans my age who are fans because of that team mm. so if, if you're a millennial you're a little bit younger and didn't get to fully appreciate that team go back and watch it
1: i was so- one years old when this game happened so i had no idea what happened even throughout the game like i, I didn't know 100 percent for real if we won or lost I knew that you weren't gonna make me watch a game that we lose, but at the same time, it's like watching this thing will make you stronger and make you understand like the two thousand playoffs. So I get, I, like, if they lost, I would have totally got it. But yeah, do study your lessons, do your googles,
0: and uh, you know we need to think of another game to do for our next Throwback Thursday. So if you have any. Suggestions, you know, let us know in the comments. Let us know when you reply to us on Twitter. I'm thinking maybe something along the lines of the 2000 uh, Blazer squad. There were a lot of great games we could go back and watch there. Um, maybe, maybe a little bit more recent. But uh, I really maybe like the
1: 2012 game against the Hornets. <laughs>
0: <laughs> maybe.
1: I I feel like we should do it eventually because I not I know that last play.
0: Yeah, you know it. Yeah, but it was yeah, a game it, it, the
1: first game winner, and I was there. Have
0: suggestions? Let yeah. us know. We're all game. Maybe even a '77 game because we, you know, YouTube is fantastic. We can find almost anything on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, but the eras I like to talk the most about are early '90s in that, that twelve deep Blazers team. Um, from no back. shit, <laughs> those are my squads.
1: I just let I just put the battery on your back and let you roll through forty minutes of content.
0: <laughs> no, I can do it.
1: I know you can. That's why, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you have your your fun talking about these nineties. I mean, it definitely is fun watching the team, but you sort of were aware for these times. I mean,
0: I would say a little aware. Uh, like I said, I was five when I became a fan, so I think the the, the team I most remember. As a, as a youngster, was the ninety one, ninety two? We played the Bulls. I remember that a little bit, and like going to to see Clyde Drexler and Robert Pack and Jerome Kersey getting their autographs. Wait,
1: Robert
0: Pack. Yeah, he was up in Salem Center. My mom took took me. Um, we would listen to like Blazers in the house and Bust Bucket going up to to the um, to the meet and greet. I remember when Blazers on Broadway was a store that opened up on. In Portland and in Salem, I got. I still have a hat that I found a couple years ago, um, that I got at that store. That store opened up, I think, in like '92 or '93. Uh, didn't last too long, unfortunately. But I start. <laughs> the Blazers
1: are so happy you're a fan just because of the merchandise sales. My God. <laughs> oh. Yeah, but I'm starting
0: to buy the the off the market stuff on Etsy. I got to get the the vintage retro sh- uh, t-shirts.
1: <laughs> See, oh man, Dustin used to give me sh- shit for buying. Off-brand everything. Now yeah, you're starting.
0: Mine was legit. I'm not talking about bootleg <laughs> shit like my, my my boy used to buy. Like this oh, was real stuff, like dead stock.
1: <laughs> all right, whatever. I guess you aren't about that uh, fake fake.
0: Uh, I mean, you're lucky. I'm still talking to you. If you got that replica jersey.
1: I wear. Yeah, I'm repping it. People, all the all the girls in DC love this shirt. So I, I rock with it.
0: Still got to get you that swing, man, maybe for Christmas. I don't
1: like it. It makes my man boobs. It's tight on my man boobs. (laughs) Size up. (laughs) That might be the opener. (laughs) Well, I I can't
0: think of of a better way to end the show than that. Uh, You know, if you like what what you're hearing, please give us that five-star rating on iTunes. Uh, Go ahead and subscribe so you don't have to wait for our, our tweets. To let you know when the show is live, uh, it's also available on uh, Stitcher and SoundCloud uh, at Holy Backboard PDX. If you feel inclined to send us an email, you can do so at holybackboardpdx at gmail And as always, we're active on Twitter and Instagram at Holy Backboard Sage. It has been another fantastic episode. I can't wait to do the next one. Hopefully, we bring Mo Harkless back and um, let's start thinking about that next TBT.
1: Yeah, definitely. Alright, peace out, Rip City.